Hello, this is Ryan from Chasing the Dragon Gaming Podcast, and I'm here with the last segment from our Essence Spiel 2014 coverage. This is an interview I did with Martin Wallace. Well, thanks and enjoy cantrip number five. I'm here with uh, Martin Wallace, and we're here at the Tree Frog booth at Essence Spiel 2014. How are things been going here? Uh, very well. We yeah, have a really good show. Sales really good. The response to our new games is very good. So yeah, very happy. That's great. I got a chance actually today to sit down and play Mythotopia. I actually played with uh, Ryan Metzger from uh, Dice Tower. And um, we both really love the game. And uh, one thing that I notice is it's, it's like your, your, your typical style of combining so many different ways of playing a game. And uh, it always feels so organic that you don't think about it. But you're taking these deck building and this area control and moving across a map. But the way you do it, I feel like it's so unique, and, um, but it doesn't feel unique. It feels so natural to me. And um, one, of the, one of the problems I have with you is actually that I have very limited number of money. I have very little money, but I always find myself wanting to buy your game. So, I want, so I, most of my game collection is your games. And, and, I, and I think that speaks to this unique, uh, these, these kind of mechanics that you use by combining all these. Where did you get that idea of like combining all of these mechanics into one game that just works so well? Um, well, obviously, I mean, the, the deck building is the core part of it. Um, and as you know, the, the game itself was based on a few acres of snow. And I mean, a few acres of snow was the theme I wanted to do before I decided to use the deck building element. So, you know, the deck building was taken straight from Dominion. But then once you decide you're going to do deck building and you just ideas suggest themselves. Um, uh, you know, you're just applying your skills to say, right, well, how to make things as logical as possible, how to make things fit thematically. Um, so it's not, it's not a case of, I don't know, having ideas, it's just shaping the mechanisms you know you want around the theme. Um, I suppose, in a sense, you know, that's the art of board game design, is trying to come up with the best solution to the problem, you know, the, 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 the best rule to allow an effect to happen that is going to be uh, intuitive and work well. I think that's the real key, is that it, when you're playing, it feels intuitive. In Mythotopia, um, there's about 15 different actions that you can choose to take, yes. and you get to choose two per turn. Some of the cards allow you to do a third, but mostly you just do two. And so I think with some other deck builders, you are often left with, oh, I'm, I have to do something, so I have to do something. Uh, and you feel like it's kind of a wasted turn, but I never felt that once in Mythotopia. Yeah, I mean, I must say that I could never understand why in things like Dominion, you have this use cards and then chuck away what's left, because it meant you're only ever reacting to whatever's in your hand. And yeah, so in something like uh, Mythotopia, at least you have the option of saying, well, I know this card is going to be useful at some point, but it is, you know, I can't use it now. But at least you have the ability to either retain it in your hand or place it in your reserve. So it, it does, does give you a great deal more ability to use the cards effectively rather than relying on the right combination to come up at the right time. Because, yeah, as you, as you know, in your standard deck building games, it's like if you get the wrong combination, you can do nothing. Exactly. There is absolutely nothing you can do. And 
I, I'm, I'm never keen on card games where the cards play you. You should be able to play the cards to the best of your ability rather than going, well, there's only one thing I can do with this set of cards, so that's what I'm going to do. There should be at least two or three different options for you to consider with what's in your hand. I never felt like that in any... I, we probably played maybe... We didn't finish the game, but I, we played maybe 10 to 15 turns, rounds, and I never... Not a single round that I feel like that. I did have to uh, skip my second action once yeah. or twice, but um, that was just because I was able to use all five cards in my first action. Yes. Um, yes, I mean, that can happen. But then again, if that's an issue, what you should be doing is building up your cities to increase your reserves so you've got more cards available to you. Yeah, uh, and so what I learned is that stone was important because I was yes. never able to get enough stone to build a city. Yeah. So, but of course, this is great. When you, when you first time you play a game, you start you realize those things. And, yes. and it kind of builds, it's a depth of a strategy that you build over multiple yeah. plays. But that's also, I mean, it's um, one of the things I try to do in the game is I get... It sometimes frustrates me with some other games where to get something you need two of this and four of that and then three of something else, whereas in this I thought, no, if you want to build something, it's stone. If you want to feed armies, it's food. If you want to buy something, it's gold. And just, you know, each resource does what it would do in the real world. Yeah, and even though I wasn't able to build a city, I was actually pretty far in the lead anyways because yes. I, I had a different approach yes you you don't necessarily need cities you can just cycle your hand quickly you can just be aggressive and expand uh, on the board so yeah there are definitely different strategies you can follow so what is the world of mythotopia what is well to be honest the, the, the name mythotopia came from a game I worked on many years ago which actually turned into Tempest so it was a it was a name without a game um, the world itself, you know, let's be honest, it's generic medieval fantasy. Um, so there's no real story about that. It, when you game designers are, you know, good at designing games, they're not necessarily good at creating stories. I mean, this is why I like using, uh, working with all, you know, with books to create games like Discworld, for instance because somebody else has done all the imaginative bit. You know, if, if I do a game with a deep story, well, the story's not going to be very good because I'm not a writer. So there, there isn't actually any underlying story to Mythotopia, although I suppose with the artwork, we try to create an air of mystery that you're not really sure what this world is. Um, but, you know, yes, being honest, it's a generic fantasy game where you basically just trying to expand get territory you know do what they do the kind of things that people were doing anyway in the medieval times but it's not like a, a dominion which is totally uh, generic I, I'm, it, for me mythotopia is evocative of a world you just it's not it's there's but there's no explanation of what that world is but the, I think the graphic the graphic design is is very subtle but it but like I said it's evocative of of a, of a world that is there. Yeah, I mean, what we try to go do with the graphic design is there are a lot of games out there that have got amazing artwork. You know, you've got the cards out there, you've got this full color artwork. And some of them, sometimes it's, it's a bit of an overload. It's like there's too much color, there's too much going on. Um, so I thought with this, yeah, let's try and take another approach and yeah, so it's more line art with subtle shading or, you know, 
shading rather than lots and lots of colour. Um, just, yeah, just to, in a sense, to make it look different from a lot of the other games around the market. For me, if I look back at a game like Liberté, which is one of my favourite games, that it is a very, in a lot of ways, it's a very abstract game. But the, uh, the, the, the election mechanic in there really makes me feel like this is about the French Revolution and these are these factions. And it, for some, I don't know, wh why do you think it is that even though it's very, it's in a lot of ways very abstract, I still feel like it's a French Revolution. I mean, the, there's the pictures and the names of the people, but there's no other information at all, basically. But it, I feel like I'm there. Mm. Uh, yeah, well, it just just happened to work, which which is nice. It's nice when a game comes together and kind of organically recreates a situation without you having to force it with lots of rules, without having to kind of yeah artificially create a situation where it it's really good if something emerges naturally from gameplay. I'm a I'm a filmmaker too, and I and I think I remember always learning from my professors and from my own practice saying that you should show, not tell, yes. the story. And that, I think that's an example of what Liberté does. Yes, uh, yes, I think, I, th I think you're right. It, it is, um, and it, it, it's nice if you can do that. It's not always possible to do that, you know. It's some themes, sometimes, yeah, you, you just have to do the telling. But uh, it, I always think it's nice if a player if not everything is obvious, where a player has to work a little bit at interpreting how the game uh, is representing something, you know, where it's not, you know, so, so that there is some kind of hidden depth, of, you know, some depth to the game, some, something hidden that a player can work to discover. Yeah, I, I, I think it makes it really rich. Do you, do you generally start with a theme or with a mechanic and build the theme around that? Um, with pretty much all of the games I do, I start with a theme. Um, and I find that by far the most uh, productive way to design a game. The thing is, if you, if you start with a mechanic, um, you can end up with something quite dry and artificial. You know, you, you start with a mechanic and you start trying to add things to it. It's like, it's, it doesn't feel right. So the, the, my approach is, um, choose a theme, do as much reading as I can on it, and just let ideas stew in my head. And then usually something pops up, you know, some, because what you're looking for is, once you've, you know, once you've done that reading, is to find some simple core mechanic which you can then hang the theme on, but in a way where it feels natural rather than forced. Um, so what you're really looking for uh, with a theme is some sort of core central truth to that theme, some, something that um, stands out as uh, from that theme and then build your game around that. It's like uh, the scientific uh, theory is, is about elegance. The more elegant the theory is, the better it is, the simpler it is, yes. the more efficient it is, the better. Yes, uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I, I think I mean, for me, it's, it's a bugbear of mine that I think there's a lot of games that say they're about a certain theme, um, but they're not. They, they don't tell you any, they don't, they don't inform you of any truth about that theme. They don't, they don't really relay the, the reality of that theme in any way. I mean, uh, 
I, I say it's a big problem with most of the civilization games that have been done. You know that there's loads of civilization games, but I've not played one that actually seems to have any understanding of the real nature of history. You know, they, they, they just tend to be like postcard games, like, yeah, we'll have some Romans in here, and yeah, we'll have some pyramids, and we'll have this end up without, but they, they seem to have absolutely no understanding of the actual nature of history itself. Yeah, and, and that really comes across in the gameplay too with yeah. those. Yeah. But. So, um, but yeah, I, as I say, um, yeah, 99 times out of 100 always start with a theme. And it, it, it makes you come up with mechanisms that you might never have thought of. You know, that it's like that, that you wouldn't have thought of in isolation. I think it's important to, to take a theme and, and find a unique mechanic that fits that because otherwise, yeah, you're like you said, you can put all the art you want on it, but if, if while you're playing it, it doesn't feel like you're doing it, it's, it's just it's irrelevant. I, I have one more question just, just about um, Rune, Runebound. Is that, um, is that going to be coming out as a third edition at all? I have absolutely no idea. The situation with Runebound is uh, I sold the rights to uh, Fantasy Flight outright. So it is entirely their game. Um, so it's entirely up to them what they do with Runebound. So I, I don't have any communication with them about Runebound. So I couldn't tell you. Yeah, a lot of people hope so. And uh, studying Emerald too, you probably can't say anything about that or? Uh, well, yes I can, because okay. I did actually mention it on another podcast, but we, I did, uh, at the beginning of the show, I mentioned to another journalist that we're going to be doing a new version of the game, which is uh, a lighter, stripped-down, faster-playing, simpler, more intuitive version of the game with all new artwork, which is um, which is going to be produced with uh, the general market in mind, so that it will be going into distribution. So that that will be sometime in the first half of 2015. And I did. Uh, yesterday saw a picture of the cover and it looked yes. really nice. It's very nice. It's a big Cthulhu coming in the distance. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a really good cover. It tells you exactly what the game is about, you know, Sherlock Holmes versus a whacking great big monster. Well, I think everyone's looking forward to that. Um, hopefully, I mean, I think the, the game still retains that core thing of how much you give away about which side you're on, you know, what point you reveal which side you're on. But it's a lot easier to track information. It's a lot easier to track victory points. Um, and it's a lot easier to see what you can and cannot do with your hand. You have, I've reduced the number of different actions to the bare minimum. I've used very clear symbols to say uh, pretty much all the actions you can only do if you have a sim if you've got with the symbols on the card. So if you don't have that symbol in your hand, then you can't do that action. So you're not having to remember a separate set of actions in isolation. So I'm hoping it's it's going to be a lot more accessible to uh, people who might have been scared off in the first one because of its complexity. Although that first one is is a big collector's item right now, and people are really hunt. I could never find one. So. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, no, that's it's great. You know, for that, there'll, there'll be those people who like the original, and that's fine because they, they've got the original, they can play the original. No, nobody is uh, saying you have to play the new version. I think the new version will appeal to those people who found the original too daunting, because it is there is a big learning curve on it. And also it's a problem with complex games. If you don't play them repeatedly, then going back to them can be 
difficult because you're having to then suddenly reread all of the rules. Whereas, you know, I mean, I, I'm sometimes lazy. It's like, you know, sometimes you just want to sit down and play a game without reading the rules. Because most of the time, you're always playing new things. You're always reading yours. You're always struggling through things. So sometimes like, oh, no, we'll, we'll play Puerto Rico or we'll play Agricola or Terra Mystica. It's like, yeah, we know the rules. We don't have to explain them and, or relearn them. We just sit down and play the game. It's fun to play new games, but it's also nice to just actually play a game instead of yes. having to learn the rules. Yeah, yeah some, yes, absolutely. Okay. Great. Well, thanks so much okay. for talking with us. No problem. Thank thanks. you. Thanks.